Well, good afternoon. This is Melvin York, and you're listening to Global Foods uh, with from Daddy Pete. I want to talk to you just a little bit about the different things that goes on in food security, different types of ways that foods have become more secure, and types of uh, ways that they became less secure in our daily life. Um, as everyone knows, that our population on the globe is getting bigger and bigger. We have more mouths to feed, and therefore, the farmers have taken on a job that seems to be impossible at times. Uh, not only do they fight financial instability with the price of their crops, uh, the price of fuel, the price of their equipment, labor shortages that we're experiencing now, but also uh, long hours that they work. And uh, then it seems like here lately, instead of actually thanking a farmer, uh, we have a lot of people that's out here and condemning the farmers. Let me tell you just a little bit about the farmers that I know. Uh, believe it or not, if you've never met a farmer, you need to take time, go up, and if they do have time, and I'm sure most of them are friendly enough that they will, whether they have the time or not, uh, to talk with you. What you need to realize is what they go through and what their concern is for their fellow man. Uh, they have a lot riding on their shoulders, a lot riding on their backs. And believe it or not, you think, well, they're out here doing this for a profit. Uh, not too many people would pick a job that, uh, if you'll consider it, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, fighting weather, uh, fighting disease, pest, um, whatever is thrown at them, uh, shortage of seed, as I said, shortage of labor. Uh, that doesn't have a love to feed people. Now, believe me, again, if you've talked with a farmer, you'll know that their heart is to make sure that everybody has a nutritious and an ample amount of food. Uh, my grandfather farmed, uh, and I remember as a little boy, I asked him, and you've heard this story as to be told as a joke, but it's not a joke. Uh, because you can go by and you can take your time, look on the internet, you can hear some of the stories from the last 30 to 40 years. The farmers go back even more, like I did with my grandfather, and you'll always hear the same story. But my grandfather was a carpenter, and he farmed 126 acres, and we farmed it with a mule. And that's the way then uh, we came up. Some of the people around us was lucky enough to have tractors. We still had the mule. He was old school, and that's the way we did things. Uh, we planted crops of corn. Uh, we uh, planted cotton. These were our uh, money crops. Uh, then, of course, we always planted uh, an acre or so of garden. Uh, we had some fruit trees around. Uh, things, Anything that we could do to produce food uh, for ourselves, for our family, for our neighbors, uh, and to sell to uh, our community. Uh, some of the smaller grocery stores back then, or wasn't what you say, so many big grocery stores around then, but they were 
an independent merchant, merchant just about uh, everywhere, especially in the city. Uh, every so many blocks, you would see an independent merchant. And these merchants needed fresh produce to sell to uh, their clientele, the people in the city. Most of the people in the rural area that I grew up in would have that. Uh, but I wanted to uh, just give you a quick overview of what uh, farming's like. Now, I know that uh, during the years to come, and uh, the story I was going to tell you about Grandpa was simply this. Uh, he was a carpenter, and he also was a farmer. And I asked him one day, I said, uh, Grandpa, I said, how come that you build houses and, and you remodel houses and barns and stuff? How come you just don't farm? Uh, he said, well, son, I do the carpenter work so I can have enough money to farm. And, you know, that sounds like a joke, but in reality, that's exactly what was going on. Uh, that's what I mean when you meet a farmer. It's in their blood. They love farming. They love producing something. And if you've ever had a small garden, if you've even just so much as had a couple of pots put out on your porch and you plant them from the seed and you come forth and then you harvest that, what it be, a cucumber, a squash, tomato vine, peppers, whatever, you get that feeling inside you. You get uh, hooked. <laughs> we can get you hooked in a minute. <laughs> but uh, because there's nothing like it. There's nothing like that feeling of picking something fresh and taking it in, preparing it, and watching your family enjoy it. There's nothing like that. And so anyhow, maybe this is a little tribute that I want to thank the farmers uh, for what they do because I do know what they are. I know a lot of farmers personally, and uh, believe me, uh, probably the best crowd of people you'll ever meet. Now, we're talking about... Uh, I named this segment, Don't Cuss the Farmer. And all the way back when uh, right now we're into organic growing versus GMOs versus hybrid growing versus natural fertilizers compared to commercial fertilizers. And uh, a lot of people maybe don't see the whole picture here when uh, we're looking at growing enough food to feed the world. And believe me, it's getting harder and harder to do. If you've been listening to any of my segments at all, you do understand what we export from the United States, and you do understand what we import. Again, uh, food security is what this is all about, but you need to understand what's going on, why people are doing what they're doing, and to make sure that your food uh, source does stay secure by secure, I mean ample, uh, no shortage, enough. So... Let me give you a little overview here back in the uh, 20s, uh, early 20s into the 30s. Uh, people were used to planting seeds saved and uh, for years and passed down from uh, one neighborhood, one generation to the next. And that's one thing that we did in our uh, community. Everybody had a specific place set up. You had jars of seeds uh, that you put back uh, to plant. If someone ran out or needed some extra, you had it there because we always saved extra. Some people would have a variety of green bean or of corn or of a tomato that you like better than yours, and then everybody would share the seed. But when the hybrids came out 
kind of took seed saving to a different avenue. Hybrids are a cross between one, two, three, or four different heirlooms to create a different variety. And usually the reason for doing that is you get a more uniform fruit, uh, you get a better taste, uh, you get a less disease-resistant plant. So um, just to give you a good example of that, back in the 30s, there was a guy that was named Radiator uh, uh, Charlie. Radiator Charlie, his name was actually M.C. Biles. And he was from West Virginia, and he was a radiator uh, specialist. What he done was he fixed radiators, record them, took care of whatever it needed to be, but that was his living. So uh, in the 1930s, uh, Radiator Charlie had this thing. He wanted to develop, uh, I guess, a, a perfect tomato. He knew by doing that because he was like everybody else. He was in the middle of the Great Depression, was coming out of that one where a lot of people lost their homes, lost their livelihoods. Uh, had big mortgages still on their farms and on their houses. And so he wanted to come up with a better, uh, larger uh, tomato that he could sell. So what he done was he went to work and he crossbred four uh, tomatoes. And uh, two of these were very popular here and uh, two in other areas. But he took a German Johnson tomato and a beef steak an Italian tomato, and an English tomato. Now, that doesn't say the varieties on which one those were. It took him over six years to create this, but in the early 40s, he began selling his tomato plants uh, out of his house. And he sold those uh, to help pay off his mortgage. Henceforth, the name Mortgage Lifter was what he design or what he named his tomato. Uh, one of these tomatoes, uh, they have a great taste to them, but they call on quick. They're kind of low acid. They're a flatter type tomato, sort of like your German Johnson, a uh, little more of the pinkish color like the German Johnson, but again, uh, meaty like the beef steak, and it also with the taste of the English and the Italian uh, tomato, it took off. So, henceforth, the mortgage lifter was born, and uh, believe it or not, sold more than enough of those tomatoes to pay off his mortgage. Now, that that's a really something that, you know, if you get a time to read about that, because that is a hybrid tomato. Now, uh, most of your hybrids today, you'll see an F1 or an F2 in front of them. And when you're saving seeds, an F1 is your first cross. F2 would be that it was the second one or uh, could be that somebody saved seeds. One thing about um, changing or a hybrid is um, once you can save the seeds, but as the generations go on, if you keep saving the same seed from the next generation to the next, it usually reverts itself back to the stronger of the plants that uh, it was used to be hybridized. Uh, not necessarily. It could wind up with a kind of a born look uh, or different altogether. But uh, people were scared of hybrid 
uh, plants, hybrid seeds. Uh, they thought they would lose their heirloom seed forever. Now, one good thing about hybrids is uh, we do have enough people, and uh, even our government had enough insight to keep uh, our heirloom seeds going along with our hybrid seeds. Now, the next thing is coming along that people have talked about uh, well, is our GMOs or GEs, genetically engineered seed. I actually started doing a lot of development on those back around 1980, 81. Uh, the first GMO O or GE corn was uh, planted in the United States at uh, what I would call a notable crop in 1996. But I want to give you another instance of how that hybrids work well, and that was uh, Campbell Soup Company, uh, Joseph Camp Campbell. Campbell, I'm so sorry, I can't talk today. Joseph Campbell, uh, he started uh, in the late 19th century, and uh, he started uh, a tomato breeding company. Uh, and later they moved in, in around 1910. Uh, it's when he really started going with this program. So uh, in 1930, uh, he helped to establish New Jersey with an important agriculture center. He built just to uh, do his research and breeding on the tomato plant. Uh, and if you'll notice, there's been a lot of varieties came out of there because uh, one of our favorites that a lot of people like, and they call it an heirloom uh, that was developed by Joseph Campbell and uh, his crew at the uh, Campbell's Tomato Breeding company uh, was the Rediger. Rediger was a thin-skinned tomato, uh, and it was really, it caught, caught on, and it went well up into the 60s, and then, of course, people's ch uh, taste change. Uh, they go back, and it seems like we always revert back to either our heirlooms, which is the beefsteak, the German Johnsons, uh, the Mr. Stripes, so forth, and uh, and then, but then uh, a lot of popularity started for your better boys, your big boys, uh, better girls, uh, different hybrids is coming along that people like just as well. So that's kind of giving me an overview of what's going on. People did not like it when hybrids came out. Uh, they had a fear of them. Uh, were they going to do that? And what is so funny about that was, and I read a little uh article about uh, even back to the legacy of breeding tomatoes, uh, if I can find it here, which was really funny. Uh, tomato production uh, Campbell had in New Jersey can be traced, not Campbell, but tomato production can be traced back as far as 1812. Uh, when a tomato grower, John Lopper, farmed on land owned by Ephraim Buck in Cumberland County, uh, tomatoes at that time were still feared by some. <laughs> and that's something. We got people that was afraid of a tomato. A nickname for the fruit or the tomato was nicknamed the poisonous apple. 
there was a story, and of course, it's not documented. It's been handed down about Robert Johnson of Salem, New Jersey, stood on the town's courthouse steps, publicly ate a tomato to prove it was safe. But again, however, there's no documentation that that really happened. But just to show you what people's fears have brought up. Uh, I did not know until I started doing some research on this that um, the tomato was actually on our air called the poisonous apple. So what are we going to do with with the uh, um, new things that's coming out now? Uh, naturally, uh, to most of us, they're on unknown, just like GMOs, they're unknown. I apologize. Seems like for some reason I can't get the words out today. But anyway, um, it's always the unknown that we're afraid of. Um, but the research that's being done now to feed people and uh, to make sure that everybody does have food to eat is just amazing. It is really amazing. Now, I want you to understand one thing. I'm not uh, doing the, uh, the podcast here uh, being pro-GMO or against GMO. Uh, I'm not going pro-organic nor against organic. I'm here giving you facts of things that's happened on how the different seeds, different crops, different varieties uh, have been developed over the last 100 to 150 years. And because of that, we have better food. We've got longer shelf life. And uh, we do have a more significant abundance of crops for harvest. Uh, one thing that I did read that I thought was interesting in the 1930s, uh, an average yield bushels per acre of corn was somewhere around 30 to 35 bushels per acre. Um, we had that today. That would mean that a bushel of corn would probably cost you $110, $15, maybe more than that. Uh, last year, we had our best crop in the United States, and which our shell corn averaged 177 bushels per acre. Now, I do know farmers in spots. It's not the average of their whole crop. In spots, like a bottom line, as everything was perfect on it, have around 210, 220, even more bushels in that spot per acre. But just to let you know where we started, you know, less than 100 years ago at 30 to 35 acres, we're now turning out 175 plus. And uh, that's what we need to feed our people. Because if you look, we still don't have an abundance uh, a lot laying around after everybody's fed, uh, the extra, so to speak. So it's going to keep everybody, our researchers, our scientists, our farmers, uh, our uh, machine producers, coming up with better ideas to keep everybody fed. And here's the good news. Everybody's on board, and they're giving 110% on developing this. So when we talk about... Uh, global food, because that is what we're talking with today. Back in the 30s, 20s, we looked at food more or less in the borders of the United States. But today we're looking at, and our farmers and global farmers are looking at feeding the world. So as we go on with this segment, uh, and will be several parts of it, I want you to just kind of give you an overview of where we were heading, and we're going to look at uh, 
our uh, heirloom production. We're going to look at organic production. We're going to look at the production of hybrids. And we're also going to look at production um, uh, of our GMOs or GE genetically engineered seed. Through all of this, we will be giving you the pros and cons of each. And then when we're done, you get to make up your mind and form your own opinion. That's why I like to give everybody the information and the opinions, um, because I like to give just the right information. Uh, we do have some more recalls out. If you've joined the USDA, the FDA page, you'll see that. I'm hoping that you will join and do that uh, and keep yourself informed on what's going on. To me, uh, when we do have these recalls, that is a threat to our food security. Everybody makes mistakes, understand that. But still, we'll go back to two things that really did pull a lot of uh, food off the market. It's just two of the recalls. We could go into more, but two of the bigger ones. Number one was peanut butter. It's been used in so many different ways. And again, the one that we really heard on was our baby formula. So these are things that we got caught especially the baby form, formula down uh, the road, we should be doing something better. We should have already done something better uh, to shore up that supply. Again, that, that's not just the United States thing. It's a worldwide thing. So anyway, that's uh, what we're uh, looking at today. And uh, hopefully we will get into uh the rest of this on the next one and kind of take you through the whole journey. Um, if uh, you've enjoyed this podcast and if you have any questions, we'd love for you to go to daddypeach.com and leave a comment or join us on these podcasts. Also sign up for our monthly uh, email helping you there with some gardening things and take a look at our products if you would while you're on the page well uh, this is melvin york and you've been listening to global food with daddy pete and until next time we hope you have a good evening